0: Hello and welcome to the Night Crew Duty Log. I'm Peter C. Haywood, the creator of Night Crew. If you're listening to this, that means you wanted to hear more Night Crew. Well, I have good news for you. We want to make more. But for that, we will need your help. On Tuesday, we're going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign to fund the rest of the season. For a pledge of as little as $5, you can help us raise the money needed to make more episodes of Night Crew. As a reward, you'll get access to the final episodes before anyone else, as well as exclusive behind the scenes content. Speaking of behind the scenes content, a lot of people were asking about the process of making the pilot. So I reached out to my friend, Gabe Barrett, and asked if he'd be interested in interviewing our amazing cast. While the Kickstarter is running, we're gonna be releasing these interviews, which he has dubbed the Night Crew Duty Log. Here's the first episode, in which he and I talk about where the show came from and what the plans are for it going forward. Over this series of interviews, he's gonna be talking to the rest of the cast about their careers, their experience making the pilot, and all kinds of other cool things. Hope you enjoy.
1: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Night Crew Interviews, a show I'm affectionately calling the Night Crew Duty Log. And my name is Gabe. And today I'm talking to Peter C. Hayward from Bluebeard Entertainment. Peter's actually the creator of the show, the the lead writer for all the amazing goodness that the Night Crew is. Peter. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate this opportunity. You reached out to me a while back and said, hey, Gabe, would you mind interviewing people for my show? And my first uh, answer was absolutely. I would love to. And I've gotten to meet some amazing people, some av- amazing actors, voice actors, and just chat with them, interview them about their lives and getting into acting and voice acting and talk about the night crew. I've had a lot of fun. So first of all, let me say I really Love the show. I have really enjoyed it. And I also really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to do these interviews. But let's stop talking about me for a minute. Let's talk <laughs> about you. Uh, so a while back, you sent me a message and basically you were saying, hey, I am moving to Los Angeles. I'm going to go toss my hat in the ring. I'm trying to become a writer. I'm trying to get on some TV shows. I'm trying to do my own thing. And I was super pumped, super excited for you. And I feel like 15 minutes later, the pandemic happened. And uh, (laughs) I was like, wow, that was a really interesting timing. And so before we get into like the night crew and kind of what's going on the table now, tell me a little bit about who you are, your background, kind of give me the two minute synopsis of who Peter C. Hayward is.
0: Yeah. So as long as I've known that you could do it. I wanted to be a sitcom writer. It's my absolute passion in life. I think sitcoms so are an amazing medium and I really, really, really want to make them. So I tried to do this in Australia. As you can tell from my accent, I'm Australian. I tried to do this in Australia for a few years. And learned that there's just there's just not a lot of sitcoms made in Australia. And if you really want to kind of make this a career, do this for a living, you've got to get to the US. You've got to get to Hollywood specifically. So I am sitting right now in my Hollywood apartment. From the moment I had that revelation, it took me about five years to get a US visa. So I built a board game company and that allowed me to get a visa to the US. And so I live in Hollywood and run my board game company. And I signed the lease for this apartment on about, I think about the 20th of March which if you know your dates, will know that's the day that Los Angeles went into lockdown for the global pandemic. So the moment I got into this apartment, I was not allowed to leave it anymore.
1: Tell me what it's been like trying to make it. Uh, amongst the pandemic, like, have you had any interviews? Have you had any opportunities? Or has everything literally just been so shut down that there's been no chance at all?
0: Yeah. So after the initial shockwave kind of hit everyone readjusted, as much of the industry as possible kind of shifted to online. So I'm in an amazing screenwriting discord uh, with, you know, about, I think we just hit a thousand members and we're all just talking screenwriting every day. And I did a convention called the Virtual Pitch Fest. So it's a pitching convention where you just get into Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting with all these producers and all these assistants and all these production company people. And so I just pitched shows for, I think, two days straight, like five minutes at a time, two days straight. I did something like 35-minute pitches, just go, go, go. So I've done as much as I can considering the fact we're in a pandemic, but honestly, all of it is stuff that I could just as easily have done for my house in Australia.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's fun to realize, I guess, but at the same time, I feel like the weather in Hollywood, at least, is a consolation. (laughs) That's true. I've been doing so much walking here. It's such a beautiful area. Let's dive into The Night Crew. Tell me about the show, like how it came to be. Like, was this an idea that just kind of popped in your head, or is it based on something? Tell me about it. So I have a sibling, Xander,
0: who writes web comics and very rarely hasn't done it for a long time but wrote this thing called the night crew uh which was the premise was basically what the show ended up being and i saw this comic and i thought ah, this is such a solid nice little premise this was probably close to six seven years ago now just putting together this little web comic and uh i don't even know if it's online anymore If it is, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. And it was just, uh, you know, the wacky adventures of a nighttime crew who have nothing to do because all the exciting adventure is done during the day. So I reached out and said, hey, let's write this together as a sitcom. And because that's kind of more my jam, I end up taking over, you know, with, with Xander's full blessing and putting it together. And I just actually listened to Cabin Pressure which is an amazing British audio sitcom. So it's a radio show and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch. And it actually stars Benedict Cumberbatch before, during and after Sherlock. So it's really weird because it's recorded in front of a live audience. So you can hear the crowds getting bigger and bigger and bigger (laughs) as his fame grew and grew and grew and grew. And so I thought, you know what? This night crew concept is an amazing idea for an audio sitcom. Over the, I say over the last five years I've been writing it, I'd write it for a month and then forget about it for a year, then come back and work on it intensely for two months and forget about it. But when the pandemic hit and I thought, okay, I want to have something that, you know, I'm proud of that has my name on it. I thought, let's really buckle down and get this one written. And so it was based on a premise by Xander, but I took it and other than the core concept and like the vague idea of a few characters, there's not much similarity other than that.
1: Gotcha. And I, I, first of all, I just love the base premise of the night crew of a spaceship. Like there is no day, there is no night. But the idea that, oh, we're on the night crew. And all we do is wash dishes and they take away the controls. Like we can't even pilot the ship. All we can do is kind of hang out and make sure you know nothing crazy happens. But of course, crazy things happen and shenanigans ensue. And so tell me about some of these characters. Are they based on not necessarily real people, I'm not trying to get you sued or anything, but are they, like, tell me about these characters. So all the characters come from different places.
0: Uh, A lot of them are me, basically. Um, Sam Sharp is me, just always like, I'm ready for the next thing. I don't need to prepare or think about it or do any kind of foresight. It's just definitely going to work. She's a go-getter, and I like to think of myself also as a go-getter. So there's a lot of Sam in me. Uh, Aston is also annoyingly me, just I have this incredible desire to show off. (laughs) And so it's very fun to write ass and just be like, what's my worst showing off impulses and just put them straight to the character. Captain Mansfield is actually based on a role playing character that one of my friends in Melbourne uh, created. So we were using a system called Fate, which is a lot like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's, it's kind of Dungeons and Dragons is a bit more crunchy. There's a lot of like tables of numbers. Fate is a lot more story driven. And my friend Tom's character was a spaceship captain who was kind of independently wealthy and just sort of did it for the fun of it like he would always just gallivant around space being like well yes we'll solve this problem just because it's fun and so there's a lot of captain mansfield in that he was kind of the most direct inspiration another friend of mine who was in that same group also called tom two toms in the same group would interrupt the role-playing session because his mum would call and so we would just hear one side of these incredibly long, frustrating sounding conversations with his mom, where he's like, No, mom, you don't need to buy me boots. No, because I don't I don't need boots. I have if I needed boots, I'd just buy boots. No, please don't send boots. And I just remember thinking at the time, man, there is a there is a sitcom in this. And so that's actually where mother came from.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Now tell me a little bit more about Innocent. Innocent's my favorite character, this you know, death to all humans <laughs> robot that is constantly interjecting with solutions she thinks are very reasonable that would actually murder everyone on the ship. Tell me about that. Is that like part of your personality too? Or maybe you don't want to share that? I don't know. Innocent, more than anything, I think is actually based on my dad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Now, my dad has never murdered anyone. He's a very sweet man. But the thing that he and Innocent have in common is that he would find a problem and immediately leap to this solution that didn't make sense to anyone else. And so the, the core of Innocent is that she is fundamentally programmed to kill people and so she's not necessarily trying to kill people it's just her immediate instinctive response of like oh well obviously the cleanest way to solve this problem is by murdering everyone obviously and my dad i think has this fundamental need to be alone he just really really likes his alone time but he has three kids and he was married and was spending all day every day around people so he'd come up with a problem like we need to you know drop something off to a house in sydney when we lived in in queensland which is about a three-day drive And rather than a courier, rather than anything else, he'd be like, well, obviously the only solution is for me to drive down, drop it off, and then drive back. And so he would just leap to these, like, as a kid, you don't really question it because your parents see your parents. But I look back and I'm like, wow, his first solution to every problem was, well, obviously it will be easiest and best for everyone if I just go away and I'm alone for two weeks and, you know, just leave mum with three kids. And he didn't even, he didn't even think about it. So that's kind of where Innocent fundamentally comes from. She's uh, obviously a classical comedy character in a lot of ways, but this immediate leaping to the most absurd thing, because that's what she fundamentally wants to do. That's my dad. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> ah, that is hilarious. Okay, so let's talk about the pilot. Was was this scenario, this problem with the, the bees and the queen and all that stuff, was that the initial like first idea or did you have several ideas and you kind of came to this one and said, okay, this is the best place to start? Tell me about that.
0: So one of the worst things about writing a pilot over five years, which I don't recommend by the way, <laughs> I hope to never again spend five years on a single script. One of the problems is that when you're three years in, it's it's really hard to like to go back and undo. So, this script won a contest, the uh, British Comedy Guide Sitcom Geek Script Contest. Where they read a bunch of scripts and they awarded the top prize the one that fit them the best and i was, I was very happy for this to be the, the winning prize and so i ended up working with the sitcom geeks who is an amazing british comedy podcast i ended up working with them on script editing and they were giving me all these notes and i was just thinking oh it'd be, it'd be so much easier if i wasn't so deeply deeply tied to this plot to the point where i've got five years of jokes written for it so yeah it was it was always this plot with the bee and the, and the spider queen I should have come up with 10 ideas. and picked the best one. I should have done that. But instead, I just worked on this one idea, worked and worked and worked and worked until it became uh, what it is today.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think it worked out pretty well. I found myself laughing quite a few times throughout the, the pilot. And, and I've, I've listened to it several times now in, pre- in preparation for these interviews and kind of going back and listening to jokes and getting things again. And I got to be honest with you, I've had several people reach out to me about things over the years. They'll say, hey, I'm, I've written a book. Hey, I've designed a game, all these things. And they'll say, can you check it out? And nine times out of 10, it's fine or <laughs> Bad, and then I got to figure out like a way to be polite and not crush their dreams. And so when you sent me this stuff, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed it, and I'm not just saying it. Like I really found myself laughing a lot at these characters, and the writing is just excellent. Now, as far as like the next episodes you already have everything kind of plotted out and charted out and where we're going to go and jokes or anything or absolutely so again
0: one of the you know the downsides of working on something five years are obvious but the benefits are that you just have this treasure
1: trove of ideas tell me there's a a future episode about toasters and we're going to meet more toasters
0: People really connected to the toaster. I'll tell you, I was not expecting that. I, I just find toast very, very funny. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't planning on, on more more toast content, but we'll, uh, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes.
1: All right. Well, fair enough. I, I hope there's some in there. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'll let that be a, a surprise down the road. I'm not going to you know, pick your brain too much about where do we go from here. I, I'd much rather experience it for the first time when, when listening to it. So tell me about the characters but from like a voice acting standpoint you have found an amazing cast you have outkicked your coverage is what they say where I come from where you have gone above and beyond you know your your potential like uh, some of these folks have worked on movies like Toy Story worked on Jimmy Neutron and Rugrats some of your cast members have millions of subscribers on YouTube like you have found some amazing people with amazing voices Tell me about how you got these folks to work on the show. Tell me kind of like behind the scenes, the process of getting voice actors to do
0: this. Yeah. So the first step I did was just reach out to everyone. I just emailed. um, It was very important to me that I used voice actors in this. So, you know, obviously a lot of films these days just use normal actors as voice actors and there's nothing wrong with that. But especially for something like this, which was specifically written to be voice acted, I really wanted to make sure that we had voice actors in every role, you know, using the full range that voice actors are, are trained professionals with potentially decades of experience in. And so I reached out to a bunch of people and fair enough, no one replied. It was just a random email. And, you know, someone like Sung Won Cho who has 4 million new subscribers, he must get a hundred emails a day being like, hey, can you come and do this random project? I'm a random person you've never heard of. So I basically got uh, radio silence back. So I was on, on the screenwriting Discord I was talking about earlier, and I said, man, how do I actually get in contact with these cool people? And someone said, well, that's what casting directors are for. And I was like, well, yeah, but I, I couldn't get a casting director. I'm just a normal, ordinary human. And they were like, well, no, casting directors are also normal, ordinary humans. So I just went onto to the casting director website and posted a job ad, and a man called Paul got in contact with me, and he was, oh, man, so so lovely, so well-connected, so good at what he does. And he was like, look, this sounds fun you seem cool. I like this idea. I like the script. Let's do this. And so he ended up reaching out to all the same people I'd reached out to, but through their agents instead of through them directly. And obviously when you reach out through an agent and you're a casting director, you're much more likely to get a response. So he reached out to Sungwon Cho's agent and, and someone signed on, and then he actually put up open auditions. And so we got Debbie, who is this amazing veteran of the small and large screen. She uh, auditioned for this. She auditioned for the parts of Innocent and Mother. And as soon as I heard her play Mother, I was like, oh, she is so perfect like we could not get a better better role for this and only then did i google her and be like oh wow she's a big deal and then after that it was sort of the people who had already signed on who liked the script reaching out to other people so someone reached out to jenny Debbie reached out to EG Daily Uh, Riley, who plays our lead role, Sam. She was, again, just on the audition side. I heard her and I was like, oh, so perfect for it. So, yeah, I, I got people through having a script that people connected with and hiring someone who knew how to get to the people who would connect with it, basically.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. We are living in exciting times where you can do this kind of thing for a podcast show that no one has ever heard no one has ever worked on before but yet you peter c hayward board game (laughs) publisher moved to los angeles trying to figure things out could all of a sudden land people with 300 listings on imdb as far as debbie and and people that have done amazing (laughs) things in various uh, parts of the industry and they're working on this show and i'm really excited i really hope the kickstarter does well so we get a lot more of these episodes and so these amazing voice actors can really bring these characters to life over the course of seasons and and do some really really fun things and so what's what's been your favorite part as far as like working with the voice actors because you know i talked to a lot of them and they're they had nothing but good things to say about you and your directing and kind of helping (laughs) coach them and that kind of stuff they're very diplomatic (laughs) (laughs) but tell me what you tell me the things that you've really enjoyed about this process
0: yeah so uh debbie and Sungwon were the first two people i recorded and they are also two of the most experienced voice actors that you know we have in the cast. And I had, I'd never directed voice acting before. I've directed various film and theater things before, but i have never directed purely voice acting. And so I was really touched by how I'm going to say gentle they were like, they really just guided me through the process. They taught me all the lingo. They explained to me, you know, what made sense to ask and what didn't make sense. And they were just like, look, we are here to give you the best performance that we can. Deb, Debbie uses this quote though, really like she said, uh, I'm a brush and you were the painter. Like, you know, use me to make the art that you want to make. Just the incredible openness and willingness to teach and obviously willingness to get involved and enthusiasm that they've had for the project has really just absolutely blown me away
1: yeah very cool now were there anything did anything come up during the recording that you maybe changed some things or once you had a certain voice actor like oh what if we do this and tell me about any edits that were made (laughs) to the script like as you actually did the recording
0: so one of the difficult things is that i am australian and a lot of my colloquialisms and word choices are all australian so when you sit down with an american actor and try to get them to say various things it just doesn't come out of their mouth naturally so I'll give you an example. This is one from before we, we started recording. Innocent and Captain Mansfield have a very, you know, friendly relationship, and he gives her little nicknames. And in the original script, one of those little names was BOTTY, B-O-T-T-Y, like, you know, short for robot, BOTTY. Except when you say BOTTY in an American accent, it comes out as Body. <laughs> but even on the day, a lot of, I think particularly someone's lines, because Mansfield is such a kind of classic British sort of character... A lot of his expressions and little phrasings were very, very British. So we would just workshop them at the time and I'd be like, okay, Say it as written and now say it the way that you would say it and now say it the way that your grandfather would say it or, you know, that old man would say it. Just, just to get something that sounded really natural coming out of his mouth.
1: Yeah, I love the whole collaborative process that it seems that goes into making movies, making TV shows, where everybody's kind of coming together. And, and there is a script, there is a plan. But at the same time, there's some leeway. We can we can dance a little bit. We can maybe add some things, change some things. Now, I've heard several, I think I've heard several Australian jokes. I know there's a Vegemite joke in there <laughs> as well. Did you have to maybe dive into some of american culture to find some of these jokes or find some of these lines
0: well fortunately i uh i've been immersed in american culture for many years now in in australia like i said we don't really make a lot of stuff so almost all of our media is either american or british so when i moved here i was was surprised by how little i had to learn so far i think there's only been maybe two or three things where i've been like whoa i didn't know that was a thing at all like um catty corners (laughs) that's one of those American things that we just don't have in Australia. And somehow it's just never been in any media because, you know, when does a sitcom character ever need to say catty corners? So I didn't have to do too much research um, as well as that. I have a little discord group of people who would get together with me about once a month and just read the script. So I could hear it be said by people who, you know, just weren't me or weren't in my, in my mind and weren't Australian. And so that was invaluable, not only for like refining the characters and improving the jokes, but just for making sure that I really understood what would and wouldn't make sense to an American audience.
1: Yeah, that's funny. And it's, it's really interesting to start dot- diving down into some of these colloquialisms because even in the States, there are so many things that people say in one area or one part of the country that you would have no idea what that means. You know, like rock from someone, you might say, Hey, how are you doing? And they might say, well, I'm finer than a frog hair split four ways. And it's like, what? you know, or if something, if, if somebody's just not a useful person, like they're not handy, they can't fix stuff or whatever. You, you might say, well, that's about as useful as a back pocket on a shirt. And it's so fun just to start diving into these things. But at the same time, you gotta be careful. Cause if you use one that's super, specific like nobody else like one percent of your listeners are going to understand what that means and 99 percent people are like what what and now they're stuck <laughs> on that and they're missing all the other jokes so it's interesting i'll
0: have to write an australian character in who just uses non-stop australian colloquialisms just stuff that uh,
1: you know <laughs> flat out like a lizard drinking flat chat mate <laughs> All right. Let's. Uh, anything else actually that came up from the writing? Anything that you've really just enjoyed about bringing this show to life from the writing standpoint? So
0: for me, one of the absolute highlights was, as, as I mentioned, I won this contest from the Sitcom Geeks and I've been listening to the Sitcom Geeks podcast for about as long as I've been writing this. So a lot of the writing process has been me listening to an episode and being like, how can I apply that to Night Crew and then applying it? And I think that, that's a big reason why it won because it was very much you know, tailored to their style because it was written from their teachings. And so I ended up hiring them to do a, a script editing on, on the show. And, oh man, I I write everything on post-it notes when I'm in a meeting. And by the end of it, I had literally my entire six foot desk coated with post-it notes. Just everything they said about the script, I was just writing down and I had this massive stack. And so I just put it in a pile, put it away for two days and came back and just worked through that pile from top to bottom. And I learned so much about character arc and emotional connection. And, you know, what is the core of the show? One of the big things that they said is that like the relationship between Sharp and Mansfield is the show or if it's not you know it should be just like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine it's Jake Feralta and Captain Holt in this one it's really about that mentor-menteeship relationship and she wants to be mentored and he doesn't want to mentor but also she she's going to pull him out of his out of his shell and that was all there in earlier drafts but I've just been like yeah I guess that's the thing that can happen and they were like no you've got to work out what the emotional core of your show is and write to that and so that was a huge meeting like after that the entire show just kind of shifted in a much better direction straight away.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the future of the show. It's it's coming to Kickstarter. It's going to be something you're trying to, you know, get some funding for to put together a lot more episodes, full season, hopefully even more than that as more funding comes in. But tell me like if Cartoon Network came along and like, hey, we love this. We want to turn into a show. Like, is there like a bigger future you would kind of love in a best possible world? Or like, give me your vision for the future. So one of the things is that this was very much written for audio. So the version of Night Crew that you're
0: listening to now, it could never be directly adapted because, so for example, Innocent is described in the first episode as looking kind of like a pizza and also being round and stripy. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a little sneak preview. In a future episode, she's described as having long red hair growing directly out of her thorax. And I think in the pilot, she's got knives for eyes. In another episode, she's going to be described as having more than a dozen legs. And so it's the kind of thing that only works in audio because I can just keep on adding whatever descriptors I like, whereas if it's animated, then, you know, you can't make those jokes and, and stuff like the reveal that the whole ship is run by ropes. You know, you can't really do that in animated series unless you have to have very careful framing. So it'll be a different thing if it ever gets animated. But uh, for now, I'm, I'm focusing on making it a very audio specific show. Gotcha.
1: And so tell me about like a season. Would that be your normal TV show, like 22 episodes? Or tell me how that would be structured. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no so I'm, I'm very much going for the British, uh, British style of, of season. So if the Kickstarter funds, we've got a $10,000 goal. If that funds, that will let us make three more episodes. And technically that money won't cover it, but I'm happy to put in some of my own money, just like I paid for the pilot, just because I really want this to happen. I think it's a really cool show and I'd like to see it out there in the world. If we can get fifteen thousand, we're going to do a fifth episode. If we get twenty thousand, we'll do what what I would call a full season in Australia and uh, Britain, which is a full six episode season one.
1: Very cool. All right. So tell me a little bit more about the Kickstarter. What are some levels that people can back the show? What are some like rewards that people get? Tell me more about the like campaign. Yeah. So
0: everything. Every dollar that goes into Kickstarter is going to go straight to making the show. So we're not offering any physical rewards or anything like that. What we're offering is a bunch of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So you'll get access to like behind-the-scenes blogs and photos and stuff like that that just won't exist out there anywhere else. And as well as that, when the first season is done, you'll get the entire thing before anyone else. So more than a month before it goes online, you'll get the whole first season at once. You won't have to wait week to week or anything like that. And I don't know if we're going to have ads in the final thing, but no matter what, the Kickstarter version is going to have no ads whatsoever.
1: Very cool. And I think it's smart. I've seen a lot of Kickstarter campaigns get bogged down with t-shirts and like all the physical products of things. And then by the end of, shipping all that stuff they have hardly any money left over (laughs) after taxes after shipping after paying Kickstarter their fees and all that and you have hardly any money left over to actually do the thing to do the show and so i think that's a a pretty smart
0: uh, way to go since the pilot launched i've had so many people reach out be like more when can we have more and so i know that there's an audience for it and so yeah by by contributing you are going to be helping us make more that's the that's the only thing we're doing with your money We're, we're making more of this show that we all love
1: that's excellent Well, tell me uh, where people can find you, find The Night Show. Obviously, if they're listening to this podcast, I know where they find the podcast, but where can they find (laughs) the Kickstarter campaign and anything else related to the show?
0: Yeah, so nightcrewpodcast.com. The day the Kickstarter goes live is going to be a big button in the middle saying, you know, Kickstarter live now. You can also find it on Twitter at the SS Freedom.
1: Awesome. Well, Peter, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you uh, inviting me to host these interviews. And I appreciate your time today and talking about the show. Again, I'm really excited for it. I think it's a wonderful, hilarious show. And I'm really hoping that uh, you get the opportunity to write more and these amazing voice actors get the opportunity to bring those characters to life even more through the night crew. So, again, appreciate your time and uh, good luck with the campaign and everything else you got going on right now. Thanks so much, Gabe.
0: If you'd like to hear more of Gabe, he actually has his own podcast called The Board Game Design Lab. And if you're interested in board game design or just his beautiful, beautiful accent, then you can check that out at boardgamedesignlab.com. He'll be back with another interview next week. He'll be talking to Debbie Derryberry, the voice of Jimmy Neutron, the little green men from Toy Story, and of course, the SS Freedom's computer mother. Thanks so much for listening.